All right. Hello and welcome to Speak Your Truth Now. My name is Amanda and I'm joined with Mallory Harris this week. We will be talking about George Floyd and kind of the aftermath of what happened a little over a year ago. And I know this is a episode and a, a conversation we've been wanting to have to kind of um, revisit some things that we talked about in the beginning of starting this podcast and be a little bit reflective and see what has changed over the last year and maybe what are some thoughts on how we can do better in the following year. So current news, I know that a lot of us watched uh, the Derek Chauvin case or at least kind of kept up with what was going on around that. And Derek Chauvin was sentenced to 22 and a half years uh, in prison. And I think overall, there was a lot of mixed reactions, you know, from that sentencing, which, you know, I thought was interesting. Uh, Mallory, what kind of were your thoughts when you heard the news about the prison sentence? I honestly, like, I'm still surprised that he was sentenced and convicted and that he's serving, you know, a not insignificant amount of time. Like, I think the prosecutors, I think they're after 30 years or something close to that. So they didn't quite get the full 30 years, but the fact that they, you know, they got most of those 30 years, like, that's pretty impressive. Um, And I say it's impressive only because, like, the standard is so low for holding police accountable in situations like this that, you know, this doesn't, you know, It'll never be enough, I don't think, but it does feel like a significant milestone as far as, you know, repercussions that cops will face or have faced for, you know, shooting unarmed black people. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think a lot of people have kind of had this, you know, similar thoughts that we're really glad that there was some type of justice, um, you know, for the family and for George Floyd. And, you know, definitely good that he's going to jail as that's the system that we have (laughs) currently. (laughs) And, you know, I think the family overall was positive about it. Mm -hmm. And I think they were also just very measured too in like their response. Because I think that they see that 22 and a half years is, you know, is very good to see that type of response. And like you said, we haven't really seen that in the past Mm -hmm. when it comes to um, convictions against cops. And so that's a good thing. But obviously, like we're all wondering kind of like what are the next steps? Um, Because, you know, a lot of people have continued to die um, and Mm -hmm. have continued to be killed by cops in the past year. And so, you know, that's another thing that we want to talk about today is what's happening around the U.S., that's going to lead to um, to change when it comes to police and community relations and, you know, what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really so, good segue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know everybody remembers when, you know, all the organizations came out and had statements about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and a lot of organizations, you know, made commitments to either start programs or to donate. And there was a lot of different things that were put out by the corporate community. And so really what we wanted to talk about is what 
does that look like now? What's happened in the past year? Did those organizations do what they said that we're going to do? Um, was there any successes? And um, I thought that this was, you know, something really important to take a look at because at the end of the day, if people are just saying that they're going to do something and nothing gets mm -hmm. done, well, then nothing really changes. So, you know, I kind of looked at a couple of different sources, but Overall, I think from what we've seen, the we haven't seen too many responses or too many um, things that can say, you know, concretely, this has changed or, you know, we're starting to hire or we actually have more black folks on staff at our company or, you know, we're starting to promote more black folks into management roles and C-suite roles. Um, I don't think that we saw much of that um, as far as like donations and things like that. Definitely saw a lot of money, you know, being given to groups like Black Lives Matter, NAACP, things like that. But, you know, just overall, not not too many, um, you know, positive, systemic, like huge things that we saw come out of that. What did you think about some of the stuff that we were looking at? Like you were saying, like, you know, a year is, you know, a year is a long amount of time, but, you know, it's also a very short amount of time, like in the grand scheme of things. So I don't think I, and I don't think anyone really anticipated like big, huge monumental changes a year later, but I did think that we would, you know, start to see a few more like smaller concrete things like start happening on the regular you know, last summer, you know, it seemed like this was, um, you know, affecting everyone and everyone had an opinion on it and so on and so forth. And, you know, especially like companies felt the need to, you know, publicly declare and align themselves with who they are and who their values are. But a year later, we can point to small changes and that's good, but I wish it were more um, and yeah, you know, we've talked about, you know, this on here before where like all these companies, like you have to make it enticing and a good hospitable environment for people of color. Like it doesn't, you know, you can commit to, you know, all these diversity initiatives all you want, but how, like, how does it actually operate day to day in practice? So, you know, are you still acting the same way you were before and just, you know, putting on this new, like we care about diversity now front or what I'm. I don't really know where I'm going with this other than, you know, it's just, it's, it's a little disappointing. And you know, we were talking beforehand about this, like it's, you know, there, there are some glimmers of good news and good things that have happened, but you know, for the most part, it's, it's about where we were, you know, before George Floyd. Yeah. And definitely, I think one of the main issues that I found is there's just not a lot of data out there there's not a lot of like reporting that's being released from the companies that said they were going to do x y and z so yeah. there's no way for us to really know what they're really doing which is really frustrating because in the same way that you know these people came out and made public statements they need to do the same thing um mm -hmm. with follow-up you know as to what has happened over the past year and it's just as simple as reiterating what they pledged to do, you know, if that was, you know, donating, um, if that was, you know, trying to increase hiring, supplier diversity, whatever it is, you know, just basically coming out and saying what the numbers are, what does it look like? And 
you know, just let it fall where it does. And if it's not great, well, at least you're releasing that information. You're being transparent about it. Yeah. And like, I will say like, to their credit, like some companies like have, you know, publicly, you know, committed and pledged to things. Like I think Sephora wants to increase the number of black owned brands that they sell in store. Like they want to increase that um, from, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they want to increase it, you know, significantly from what it is right now in this upcoming year. So it'll, it will be interesting to see if and how that shakes out this year because you know like some companies have certainly done better than others and been a little bit more transparent you know than some of the others that kind of squandered in many ways uh so i i like you like i'm interested in seeing more accountability i guess and more data from these companies to really you know back up you know all these claims they're making because you know, there's always the risk of, you know, they're just saying this because, you know, they feel like this is what that should, you know, should in air quotes that, you know, they should be saying right now and that they're only doing it because they don't want to lose people's business. You know, like, again, just to take Sephora, like if people started, you know, threatening to boycott Sephora, if they didn't, you know, address racial inequalities, then, you know, they're motivated by capitalism, again, as always, to say something and do something. Uh, so that's why I think it's really important to have the data and accountability to back them up. Yeah, I think, too, what we've also seen is kind of like an increase in like whistleblowers or, you know, people at organizations mm-hmm. basically saying like, hey, we're not treated well here. Like this is what happens in our organization. So maybe that's something positive, too, that's kind of come out yeah. of this is now people feel like more comfortable, you know, coming out and saying, this is how I'm treated at this organization um, and it's not right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, hopefully that's, you know, that's a step in the right direction because if more people feel more comfortable coming out saying those things, especially if they're saying it to the government, then the government can come in and, you know, do investigations into, you know, discrimination, things like that. Mm So we have some type of accountability because like you said, we're just kind of expecting the organizations to do what they say they're going to do. And there are some initiatives out there. There's companies that are coming together and joining, um, signing diversity pledges and things like that and trying to keep each other accountable. So that's, there's definitely some movement there, but when we think about the amount of people that put out statements or the amount of organizations Mm -hmm. that put out statements, that was hundreds and hundreds of organizations and we're definitely not seeing hundreds and hundreds (laughs) of you know like responses of you know how those organizations are doing a year later so it's definitely Mm -hmm. leave something to be desired there another thing that's really interesting is black lives matter and we know a lot of organizations gave to black lives matter and the rhetoric that's been around black lives matter as well which has been really negative you know, if we wanted to talk a little bit about that and kind of how, you know, maybe all of this is playing into the fact that we're not seeing much movement on some of these issues. Yeah. Um, whenever I was preparing for this episode, uh, I came across data from the New York Times and 538 uh, saying that support for Black Lives Matter is back um, at an all time low. Um, especially compared to what it was last year. Uh, Let me, I've got some exact numbers here. 
yeah, so support for Black Lives Matter has fallen while support for cops is actually up. Um, 69% of people trusted cops to promote justice and equal treatment uh, versus last June, that number was 56% were likely to trust cops to be fair and equal. And Black Lives Matter peaked at 43% support in June of 2020, but right now it's back to where it was before George Floyd, which was 37%. Um, and to the surprise of no one, really, the biggest drops were among white people, older people, Republicans, and men. <laughs> so, you know, you, you know, you think, you know, so much can change in a year, but a year so short and everything. But according to the data, we're right back to where we were before George Floyd happened last May. And so like that, like that's very disheartening and it's not very shocking to be honest, but it is very disheartening. Um, yeah, you, you would think that, you know, after all of the discussions and protests and action that happened last summer, it would have trended upward a little bit and not just been mm -hmm. right back where we were at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like a big reason you know, that we're seeing this is kind of like that idea that with every kind of like movement, there's always like an uprise against that movement. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can overtake, you know, the, the positives that are going on, the meshes that's trying to be broadcast out there. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing um, in the same way that when Trump was elected president, we started to see more racist acts in, around the, the United mm -hmm. States and more people coming out and, you know, and thinking that they can do certain things mm -hmm. because we had someone like Trump as a president. So I think that that's been, you know, all kind of in response to having like that was in response to having a black president, you know, almost kind of mm -hmm. taking many steps back with Trump. Um, now we're trying to kind of, we've opened people's eyes up. We're trying to make, you know, progress. And then all of a sudden Black Lives Matter are terrorists and they're rioters and they're knocking, you know, knocking down buildings and lighting things on fire and like all this nastiness that kind of comes to kind of discredit, you know, all of the things that we're trying to, you know, to bring up, uh, you know, real social issues that are happening. And I think it's, you know, the same thing, kind of like, I think I, I think I read about this. Um, I'm trying to remember where it was, but it's very much like Martin Luther King and now how everyone, you know, when it's Martin Luther King's day, everyone posts on their Facebook and social media, like how, inspiring he was mm -hmm. and they like quote him and Cherry it's like pick their favorite no quote <laughs> <laughs> yes and it's like no one like barely anyone approved of martin luther king as he was out there during the civil rights movement you know making his speeches trying to you know enact change he had a huge disapproval rating mm -hmm. and you know obviously people wanted him killed so it's very easy to kind of like wash over that now and just be like, yeah, everyone, you know, Martin Luther King was this great aspirational like leader and we all love him. And, 
you know, um, nonviolence, like Mm -hmm. you see how all of these things paid off what he did. Um, But really, you know, there's so much more to the story. And I think that that's kind of something that we had to keep in mind, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point you bring up because yeah, people people did not like Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive. Like it's only you know in hindsight looking back that you know people have found parts of him that align with their beliefs and use that to talk about him. And you know, you know a lot of the things about Martin Luther King Jr. don't always get discussed because I mean we that's a whole another rabbit hole we don't need to go down right now. But you know, like I think that's a really good point that like you know in his life like. Like now, like it's so easy to be like, oh yeah, if I lived back in the 60s, I would support Martin Luther King, of course. But, you know, as we see now, like when you're actually living in the moment, that's not the case for most people. Um, it's it's just not. It's much easier to look back and say, oh, I would have done this if I had been alive. Well, okay, you're alive today. What are you doing? Same problems are still here. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too is like people have to start being comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and deciding what you stand for is not easy, especially when, you know, there may be a majority of people who don't agree with you. And it's like that much more important that you, you know, fight for these things because it's hard. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's protests. You know, if everybody wanted these things to change, then they would be, it would be happening right now, but we're not seeing that. And, you know, I think that's another point that the, you know, George Floyd's family made is that they want to see things happen, like on a federal level, they want to see the, um, if I'm, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but the George Floyd Policing Act, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that needs to be passed. It's still... Yeah is still being, I guess, discussed in the Senate. And supposedly there's going to be some bipartisanship on that, but it's been there a long time. And we have yet to see, you know, what's going to happen with that along with voting rights as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and that's something that we wanted to talk about as well is as we've seen the backlash against Black Lives Matter, we're also seeing a backlash against like protesting voter suppression it's all linked to each other it's all about the same thing and I think that's something that I've really tried hard to like have conversations about with people is you know it's it's about black people it's about people of color these are not political things to talk about like Mm -hmm. these the voter suppression is something we need to talk about when we talk about social justice and You know, it'd be great if organizations would come out and say something. There are some in Georgia, I believe, um, that have come out and said, you know, this is not right. We should be expanding, you know, access to voting. Mm -hmm. Um, I think more organizations need to do that, especially the ones, you know, that put out all those statements a year ago. These are the kind of things that we need them to kind of step up um, and, you know, support and, and talk about and use their money to put pressure, you know, on Congress or on the government. Um, So, yeah, if you wanted to talk a little bit more about, like, the anti-protest laws and things that we've been seeing kind of slowly around, you know, the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, like whenever I was looking up um, some data and numbers on this, like, 
I had a sense of kind of how it was just, you know, based on my own, like, you know, what I see when I read the news and stuff. Um, but the actual data was pretty shocking. So, so far, eight states have passed anti-protest laws and there's laws pending in 21 other states. Uh, so that's a majority of states at that point. And the, these protest laws, like, they vary in what they what their scope is and what they do. Like, there's penalties for blocking traffic, tearing down statues. Some of them define a riot as a gathering of three or more people that threatens public safety. Like, come on, that's stupid. Um, and, you know... As always, you know, whenever we have, you know, laws, especially like this, you know, designed to, you know, curb protests, these laws are always going to disproportionately affect people of color and will be used to go after people of color and target them. And, uh, yeah, like, it, you know, just knowing that 29 states have either passed or are trying to pass anti-protest laws as we speak so far just this year is you know really really staggering um and very concerning i think yeah and i think what we've seen is a lot of the same like rhetoric um that we were hearing from like the past president about like establishing law and order yeah you know, we need to have these new laws in place, you know, to to keep order and to keep the citizens safe. Um, and this is really something that I think Republicans, you think that Republicans would be against because they're so concerned about, you know, First Amendment rights and, yeah. and things like that. Um, you know, this is an attack on on First Amendment rights, I would think. And you know, the fact that you are coming out, you're trying to protest, this is a protected, you know, protests are, protesting is protected. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that every American should be free to do. And, you know, if they're creating laws where you're concerned, if you can actually do that thing without being arrested or, you know, going to jail, then obviously, you know, they're trying to keep these things from happening. But we know that protests bring more um, coverage to these, you know, to these issues. And we need people to protest, um, you know, to actually talk about this and to have mainstream media pick it up and talk about it as well. And I think <laughs> it's, it's just kind of crazy um, what's going on. And especially, you know, like in, states like Florida with, you know, the governor Ron DeSantis mm -hmm. there. And I know that there will be, and there are lawsuits against a lot of these, um, these laws that are coming up. So that's good. It's good to see that they're going to be, um, you know, contested and mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, they're successful, but yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy t to think that there are Republicans that are mostly taking up, you know, these issues. It's it's basically just Republicans that are taking up these yeah. issues. I think, yeah, you made a great point about, you know, if, I mean, protests are, you know, they work because they're almost impossible to ignore. You know, you, you're forced to, you know, engage with something and engage with an idea and engage with, you know, someone else. And so, yeah, I think they are, you know, really threatening 
Um, and I mean, like we saw, you know, like all, I mean, just how much, you know, on a federal level last year, even, you know, the feds were cracking down on protesters and doing, doing things that we would, you know, sanction, you know, other countries for doing, you know, they were taking those same actions that we would impose sanctions on other countries for doing to its people who are protesting. So it's, it's, it's not surprising, but it's always disappointing. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I just wish that some people would look into these things a little bit more. You know, it may not seem like a big deal to to some people, but when you really look at the language, you know, behind a lot of this stuff, it's like, come on now. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think there was something, you know, like the one that I guess the governor in Florida, Ron DeSantis, is talking about. It's trying to stipulate that protesters, um, if they're arrested, um, they can't post bail until after their first court date. So that, in essence, is keeping people in, you know, in custody. Mm-hmm. So they can't go home. Like, once you're arrested, you're arrested and, you know, you have no control over when you get that first court date. And as we know, a lot of people end up, you know, being held for months and months. And mm-hmm. that's crazy. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. And people really do need to look at this stuff and, you know, not just take the word of, you know, what their governor's saying that it's to protect the people, because a lot of it is just ridiculous once you really take a look at, you know, what it says. Um, and, you know, people just need to be better about researching for themselves what's going on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of crazy to see all of that happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what's on a sort of the other side of the coin, I guess, of that is all the voter suppression laws that we're also seeing uh, being enacted right now. Um, and much like the uh, the protest ones, um, these are happening in a lot of states. Um, as of now, 18 states have passed 30 laws of you know varying degrees of voter suppression. And um, the website I was getting this from, the they said that this many new laws, like all at once, is not the trend or normal. Like in the past, like decade, they've been tracking this. That you know it, you know, like this year alone, like has been a huge influx of these voter suppression laws. Whether it's taking away vote by mail, or you know, requiring voter ID, or making it harder to register to vote, or purging the rolls, or any sort of tactics like that, like all like all of that is being employed, you know, quickly uh, by most by Republicans to, you know, because they couldn't win, so they have to cheat in the next election. Um, and, like, there there are some positive things that we should talk about um, in a minute, I suppose. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I mean, this, you know, again, it's not surprising, but it's disappointing, you know. If you can't win, they're just going to cheat and try to win. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how many people have said that this was the most secure and fair election in history. And so if that's the case, why are we trying to make it harder for people to vote? Like this is a democracy. If we really, if people really (laughs) love the United States and they Mm -hmm. love taking their flag out on 4th of July (laughs) and waving it on their car, well then they should be for Mm -hmm. people voting and more and more people having the right to vote and easy access, not voting illegally, obviously, or 
or trying to cast their vote for someone who's dead or something. But obviously, like, it should be as easy as possible for people to vote. Yeah. Again, like, I don't, I mean, I do, but, you know, that shouldn't be a controversial statement. But yet it is here in America. Um, Like you were saying before, like, you know, in the Senate, there's all these bills that are just kind of like sitting in the Senate, chilling, hanging out, and nothing's really happening. Uh, Well, there's two voting rights bills that are, again, just sort of sitting in the Senate right now that if one or both of them, I'm not entirely sure, but, you know, if they were to pass, they would undo all of these voter suppression laws that have been enacted at the state level. So it's it's very frustrating to see Congress sitting on this legislation that people are demanding and asking and that we need and have needed for a long time, that it's just sitting there gathering dust when there there's a... You know, there's a simple, swift solution that would undo most, if not all, of these voter suppression laws, and it's just collecting dust in the Senate. Yeah, and it would be the most, like you said, the most effective way to just take care of all of this, mm-hmm. you know, in one fell swoop. <laughs> and that's really what we need right now, because like you said, there's so many of those laws out right now. It's like, you know, almost impossible to try to combat each one of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time for a lot of these organizations, you know, like the ACLU and I'm sure a lot of other groups to to try to fight these types of things. Uh, there have <laughs> been a few good things. Uh, yeah, it's 25 states have expanded voting access and a couple of states like Washington and New York have restored voting rights uh, to people with past convictions. So like there are good things happening and you know states are trying to expand voting access and make it easier for people to vote and you know restore these rights to people but again the one or both of those two bills just sitting in the senate would go a long way to combat this yeah and you know that reminded me about something too um you know because of covid a lot of the states you know had to come up with different ways to make it easier to vote, like doing drive-through voting and things like that. And I remember hearing a story um, from Texas about like how great that was for individuals or folks with disabilities being able to just, you know, get into their car and just be able to vote that way. Um, You know, so it's a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that were done because of COVID were great Mm -hmm. things just for a lot of, you know, marginalized groups and, you know, it's a shame that we're, you know, we're seeing these things rolled back and, you know, suppressed even further um, because, you know, they did help in a lot of different ways that a lot of people don't think about. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's a shame, but, um, you know, like you said, there's some positive things that have happened, um, states that are expanding voting access. And um, as far as police reform too, I know we want to spend some time on that because, you know, that's what we're hoping to see a lot of change around, um, you know, definitely across America. And because we haven't seen like a, a big movement, you know, federally yet, um, you know, we kind of have to look at what states and, you know, different cities are doing. Um, so, yeah, we wanted to kind of just talk about some places like Oakland and New York mm-hmm. City that have, you know, got have, you know, instated some programs and have seen, you know, some some good response or some good data from that. 
Yeah, a lot of, uh, like you were saying, like several cities have been trying to, you know, direct funds towards alternatives to policing or reduce the, um, reduce funding for cops. So like, like, you know, like looking at these cities and seeing, you know, the initial steps and progress they're making, like that to me is probably the most, um, you know, the most hopeful sort of thing of all the things we've discussed today. Uh, like, you know, uh, like I live in Denver, um, and you know, we have a program here called the star program. And like, just within like the last month or so, like they were given another million dollars for their budget, which is going to allow them to operate seven days a week instead of five. They're going to be able to serve the entire city of Denver and not just like particular neighborhoods that, you know, have a more of a demand for the service. And, you know, like the thousands of calls that they handled last year, none of them led to the cops being involved or arrests being made. So like we know programs like this, you know, in Denver, New York, they they work. You know, we have the data that shows that they work and that they are good alternatives. Yeah, I think that it's been really good to start seeing that data because it seems like some of these programs are doing really similar things around you know, addressing calls about mental health crises. And, you know, some other programs are kind of just winging it and coming up with different (laughs) ideas. So we're curious to see, like, you know, what works and what doesn't. But I think what we're seeing um, that's working really well is a lot of these programs around dealing with mental health calls. And I think that's great. I think that's something that a lot of people have been able to get on the same page about is, you know, why are the police the responders to mental health calls? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why do we think that the best way to handle this is to send people with guns? You know, that that's, that's probably the worst case, um, you know, that we could put someone in if they have uh, mental health or any type of disorders. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised to hear this too, but I heard that people with like mental health um, issues are 16 times more likely to be killed by cops than just a regular citizen when they're on the scene. So of all the calls that they get and all the places that they go, yeah, mental health folks are 16 times more likely to be killed by the cops. And that's not right. Like no one can be okay with that. It just makes no sense, especially when we are starting to see like a lot of these pilot programs and we see them work, you know, these people, whether they're, I guess, you know, most of them are like social workers or mental health professionals, you know, when they come to the scene, they're, you know, addressing the issue. And I think what I was reading is, you know, a lot of them are, first of all, a lot of them are homeless folks. Um, so that's an issue, obviously, that intersects with this as well, you know, is the fact that we need homes for people. We need people to have a place to go to sleep and, you know, live their lives. But also they're able to link them up with resources, you know, whether that's a shelter, whether that's, you know, someone to talk to mm-hmm. and maybe they do need to go to the hospital and then they can take them, take them there. But at no point in that situation is anyone going to get killed. And I think that's <laughs> like the icing on the cake there. Like even if, you know, for some reason it wasn't as effective 
these people aren't being killed. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, already like a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I did, I do think that um, there were some groups that went over to where you are in Denver um, to like learn more about the program. Yeah. So I think there's other like areas that are looking into these types of programs as well. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Like one of, um, one of the ones I was, surprised about that you had sent us was what's going on in Seattle and how Seattle's actually starting to give money towards community organizations, uh, which I think is Mm -hmm. really, really interesting and fascinating. And I'm not, I'm not sure how much that's been done in the past or if this is like a relatively new phenomenon or what, but to give, you know, millions of dollars to community organizations, like that's pretty huge. Like, you know, community organizations, like they know exactly what the community needs. Like they're a part of that community. Mm -hmm. They live there, they work there, you know, they join these groups and they, you know, they take care of each other. So like that, that to me was very surprising in a very good way. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like what people were talking about when they were talking about defunding the police. Mm -hmm. Like, let's take money and let's put it towards community, social programs, etc. that are, you know, actually out there in the community and that can make a positive change. So I think seeing that will be, you know, really interesting, you know, to kind of follow that story and see what happens. But yeah, Mm -hmm. um, I think it was like, yeah, $10.4 million yeah. um, were given um, to 33 different organizations. And, you know, I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, we you slowly kind of start to come across a lot of this stuff. Like, like we were saying, it's on such a local level mm-hmm. that you probably just wouldn't hear about this in just the mainstream, like, news um you know because it's you know seattle and oakland and new york city and you know denver and places like that that are having to kind of see you know what can we do um you know to deal with these issues and so i think that's been really interesting too and a lot of the organizations that they gave to are also um, focused on figuring out how to um do de-escalation mm-hmm. and, you know, criminal legal services, different things like that. It's like a host of different, um, like, activities and things that are going on at each one of these community um, groups. So I think it's really good to see that kind of spread um, and how that can be, you know, supportive of the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, I think, like, you know, like, local level groups like that like that's where you know important work and change really happens like that like if you want to get involved and like truly you know like do something that makes a difference get involved locally like that's where you're gonna see results a little bit faster yeah and I know too because you know when looking at all of this you know you do run across like the data and what's going on a lot of people I've probably heard that crime is on the rise right now. And that is not for lack of police funding. That's for sure. I know that that's something (laughs) that a lot of people have been trying to, um, to say, but when we really look at the data, a lot of, you know, cop programs have been getting the same budget, if not more money um, across the board. So the fact that crime is going up 
has nothing to do with these types of programs that are being enacted. Um, and so I think that's really important to, to point out because we need to really be, you know, serious about like highlighting what's coming out of these, um, pilot programs. And, you know, we don't want to start hearing, you know, negative, um, negative information or, you know, like fake, fake news coming out, um, real fake news about what's actually happening. So I think it's important that, you know, people stick to the data and stick to what we're really seeing. And, you know, I think that's something that you have to just keep talking about. Yes, absolutely. I'm real. I'm glad that you uh, you brought that up. You know, that crime is up and has nothing to do with you know defunding the police. Because I I've heard some of those arguments. You know, bad faith arguments. I would say, and yeah, that's that's absolutely not the case. So it's just not. Yeah, and there are some towns that have done away with bail systems or have made like reforms to the bail system and. There's also been rhetoric around that, too, is that's causing the rise in crime. But that's all very obviously anecdotal. And I think it's once again just trying to discredit the things that are happening, you know, that are really positive things as we're trying to find out what works and what doesn't work and how can we make, you know, this system that we have better, you know, better for everyone. Now, I was interested in what was going on in Minneapolis because that's, you know, where George Floyd was murdered. And I think um, that they've tried to do several different things, but I think ultimately they're looking at trying to replace, I guess, their system now, which which is their police um, system with like a department of public safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're putting that in a ballot um, for November. So that's something else to kind of look out for. Um, I don't have like too many thoughts around this because, you know, I don't live in Minneapolis and I haven't, you know, I don't have the insight that a lot of people Mm -hmm. have there. But I think what's really important is that these programs, if they're going to replace the um if they're going to replace police departments i hope that they are collecting data and we're able to show you know the changes that are happening um because i think that's really important and i hope that they have the resources that they need in order to do all of those things too Mm. so that they can be successful yeah like you were saying like i don't i don't want to speak too much about minneapolis because you know i don't live there etc etc but whenever I read the article about, you know, the proposed initiative, like the first thought that crossed through my mind, you know, of, you know, if they do get rid of the police department and make it like a public safety office, what are they going to do to ensure that they don't just create another police department, right? That, you know, to ensure mm-hmm. that they haven't just renamed the police department, like what specific concrete you know, actions are you going to take and how are you going to measure that and follow up on it? What are you going to do to make sure that this doesn't just, you know, become another name for a police department? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I hope that they have like the right people with the right like resources and like experience to, you know, really put together something that can be successful. 
you know, what we don't want to happen is, you know, all these different, you know, cities or towns start to replace the police department. And then if they don't have a good system or a good policy in place, then it just puts a bad taste in people's mouth. And then once again, that's the next thing that we have to, you know, try to battle, try to battle against, you know, when it doesn't work out, people will just say, see, it doesn't work, you know, and we need our police department back. So I hope that, you know, they have the resources that they need in order to, you know, really um, see that this is successful. And I think another part of it, too, was that, you know, with this new Department of Public Safety, which I'm not sure, you know, what how this makes a difference or not, um, it wouldn't be under the mayor. Um, So it wouldn't have like influence from the mayor of Minneapolis and, um, you know, would be independent of the mayor. And so I, you know, I'd be curious to find out a little bit more about, you know, why that is and why that was part of kind of the thinking of that structure. If they're just trying to keep it as like separate, you know, politically, you know, for politics, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or what is kind of going on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested to follow this story in the months that come and sort of see how what the final you know language on the ballot ends up being because I think it's very interesting and could do a lot of good but like you were saying like you know you you have to make sure you do this right so people don't say oh well it didn't work in Minneapolis this is why we need the cops we can't do this see we told you yeah exactly yeah that's what we don't want to see happen So, you know, I think there's a lot of good things that are happening and, you know, we're starting to see some movement there. And I think these are just kind of things that we have to keep, you know, looking for and keeping an eye on because, you know, like we said, we're not really seeing anything at the federal level, but, you know, hopefully we will. And I think that's what I would say is kind of thinking about all the things that we've talked about today. You know, if we were to or, you know, what would we want to see in the next year? I would definitely want to see organizations that did make those pledges to get involved um, in, you know, systemically changing a lot of these things. And so that means, you know, legislation, really. And so they need to be lobbying (laughs) Um, (laughs) Congress, you know, as far as like voter suppression, Um, anti-protest laws, things like that, that are going on. They need to be supporting the George Floyd Policing Act and things like that. Um, I think that's a good use of their time and money and, you know, a way that we can see, you know, like concrete action. You know, I think a lot of employees would appreciate that too, Mm -hmm. because, you know, they'll see that their organization does care. Because, I think for the, you know, the majority of organizations, they did some things in the wake of George Floyd. They, you know, created employee resource groups. They had town halls and conversations about race. Um, Maybe they watched some movies and read some books and things like that. But I think what a lot of folks are looking for from their organization is what is the next step? What are, what are the big things that they're going to take on to really um, support change 
you know, nationwide or within the local community as well. Yeah, I like that you emphasize that because I think, you know, like holding your company, companies in general, like holding them accountable for it. Like, I think that is a way, a possible way to, you know, affect change on the federal level. And like the average person, like you and me, for example, like, you know, are we going to, you know, affect change on a federal level directly, personally? Probably, probably not so much, right? But, you know, by... Mm -hmm holding these, you know, these larger groups that do have the power and the money to influence change by holding them accountable, you know, I think that is, you know, a great way to sustain momentum and make progress and go forward. And at the same time, also, you know, being a part of your community, getting involved locally, following the stories that are happening in your area and what's going on. I think like those those two things are a you know a handy way to you know stay involved locally and also sort of pressure for change federally. Yeah, definitely. And you know, to probably kind of close out this conversation, let's maybe talk about some good things. Maybe that <laughs> <laughs> maybe some some things that um, we're looking forward to. I know that you know we've seen that police reform and I think that's great. Maybe just, you know, some things that you're seeing like locally, Mallory, that um, you're really inspired by. Maybe it's like a group or maybe it's, you know, an event or, you know, maybe it's that star program that you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, what is kind of giving you hope um, this week? So one of the, uh, something I came across on Instagram, of course, uh, before we were talking today. Uh, so I've been, you know, now that like things are like opening back up again and stuff, like I've been trying to like get out and like do more things, like especially in like music arts, you know, community and scene, because that's kind of where, that's, that's my jam basically. And so I saw um, on Instagram, a tattoo artist I follow, she had posted about this, um, there's this artist maker collective thing that's um i think all bipoc folks um and that artist meeting gathering collective whatever i can't remember the exact language but they're having like a show uh next weekend i believe where you can like go and like pay you know like a donation fee a sliding scale you know insurance fee and you can go in and buy you know artwork and things made uh by people of color uh, by indigenous folks queer people and so on and so forth and so like that like seeing that like that sounds really cool to me because like that's something I would want to check out anyway and like knowing that the money is going directly to people of color like that like okay like this you know this is a good use of my dollar like this you know this is a good way to do capitalism if there is such a thing as a good way to do capitalism like that and like seeing like more events like that pop up around the city that you know align with my interests and that you know also you know support people directly like that's really exciting for me what about you? Cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, where I live in Santa Clara, California, maybe about a year ago, they had talked about doing a DEI committee of some sort, you know, kind of in the wake of everything that was going on around there. And I was pleased to see that it is a thing <laughs> that is actually real. It has, um, it has members as well. And they now have a calendar of their meetings. And so I'm kind of interested to see um, if, you know, if I can listen in on those meetings, mm -hmm. um, I think it will be available to the public. 
um, just to see, you know, what, what's going on, what are the next steps? Um, because there are a lot of people, you know, where we live that are really passionate about seeing change. And so I'll be curious to see that like on the local level, um, because I, you know, haven't been like as, you know, engaged locally, um, you know, when it comes to politics and things like that. And I'd like to be, so I want to kind of see what happens with this DEI committee, um, which will, I, I believe they're partnering with the NAACP local chapter too. So that'll be interesting um, to see um, as well. And, you know, kind of, you know, look and see what happens and if something changes and, you know, maybe meet some people that are also, you know, really interested in yeah. seeing things change for the better too. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, so I'm going to put myself out there and try to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that kind of wraps it up for us. Yeah. Um, this has been a good conversation. I'm glad that we were able to to come back to it. And hopefully uh, folks got some good information about it and maybe um, has inspired you to kind of take a look at, you know, what maybe your organization is doing or maybe your community is doing um and yeah if you guys hear anything feel free to message us on social media let us know um and then we can definitely talk about it in future episodes so thanks everybody for listening bye bye